Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swag lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, Tampa, Florida. Hello. Going to give you a couple quick notes, and then we are going. We have the real pleasure. We're going to be talking to. I interviewed Hillsborough High School football coach Earl Garcia. He's a legend in the coaching fraternity here in the state of Florida in the high school uh, uh, high school coaching circuit. He has uh, he's going into his 48th year of coaching down here in the in Tampa. Earl has had the pleasure to coach over. I believe it's 19 NFL players, numerous, over 100 guys that have gone on to play college football and such. And we're going to talk to Coach Garcia because today he is as leading into the Olympics. This is the Olympic week as it's going to start in Tokyo later in the week. He actually coached a U.S. Olympian, his first Olympian, Arion Knighton, who's going to be running for the United States track and field team in the 200 meters. Ariane is, is only a junior in high school, and Ariane is a product of Hillsborough High School and Coach Garcia's football program as well as their track program. And Ariane was a breakout star at the U.S. Olympic trials in the track and field area. So we're going to talk to Coach about coaching an Olympian, about his career, about the new college rule with the name image and likeness opportunities for college athletes and such and how he thinks that's going to affect things recruiting coaching during covid we have a very very well done interview again very lengthy and very informative interview with coach earl garcia coming up in just a minute or two so give you a couple quick notes game six of the nba finals is taking place tonight at the time of this recording Milwaukee can clinch for the first time in 50 years. Um, they went to Phoenix and won game five very impressively. The Suns come into game six, having to obviously have to down 3-2. Game seven would be in Phoenix on Thursday night if they were able to get it done here in game six. Will be a will be a raucous environment in Milwaukee tonight. Uh, you obviously need you have you had a great game five performance. Chris, I mean, Giannis, Chris Middleton, uh, Drew Holiday played really, really well for Milwaukee. The Suns in game six, they really need a big effort out of Chris Paul as well as Booker and Aiton. Those three have got to score close to 60, probably, if not 70 points for the Suns, who've been really hurt with lack of depth. Not a lot of bench production in this series. Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne. Uh, the loss of Dario Sarge has been big as far as on the inside. They've got to rebound the ball well, and they've got to get rid of the, the, of, the of the senseless turnover. So game six in Milwaukee tonight could be a historic night in the Deer District uh, as, the, as the Bucks go for their first title in 50 years. I think you'll see all the old guys from the 71 team, Kareem, all those kind of guys I think you'll see in attendance. Question is, will Aaron Rodgers be in attendance tonight, potentially game six, who is a minority owner of the Bucks? Uh, be very, very interesting to see if Aaron Rodgers is in, in attendance tonight, game six. The expansion draft in the NHL is, is Wednesday for the Seattle Kraken. So a couple interesting names have been exposed. Carey Price, Tarasenko from St. Louis, two big names. Be interesting to see if the Seattle Kraken... Uh, draft those players as well. So um, you also had the first uh, openly gay player come out in the NHL. Luke Prokoff came out on, uh, he's a member of the Nashville Predators. He, he made his announcement on Monday coming out as the first openly gay player in the NHL. So we'll see how that unfolds. 
Training camp starts for many teams in the next seven to eight days. I know there's a couple, I think the Cowboys and the Steelers start training camp this week uh, as well, preparing for the, uh, I think they're in the Hall of Fame game, so that's why they're starting a little early, the Cowboys and the Steelers. So, And the last thing is you have the Olympics in Tokyo opening ceremonies Friday night. Will be very interesting to see. Uh, there's still obviously there's still some COVID issues, major COVID issues in Tokyo. Uh, there's even been chatter that the Olympics could still potentially get canceled. The number of cases on uh, COVID cases are rising. You've had a couple of American athletes that we've heard about have tested positive in the last few days. A couple of basketball guys. There was a couple of gymnasts. So COVID is still a very real issue. Uh, as especially as we bring in all these athletes from around the world uh, into into Tokyo. Uh, no fans in any of the events in Tokyo, which will be a very tough watch if you're watching on television. Again, it'll be interesting to see what the what, what the TV viewership is here in the United States. Remember, you have the big time change as well in Tokyo. I think it's 12 or 13 hours time difference as well. So it'll be very interesting to see what the United States viewership is. But opening ceremonies, Friday night, and all over the NBC networks uh, that you'll be able to catch the Olympic Games for the next couple of weeks. So um, enjoy the Olympics and enjoy my conversation with football coaching legend Earl Garcia, Hillsborough High School, Tampa, Florida, coaching legend. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Or you can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, we've got a real pleasure here in the second half of the podcast. We are going to talk to Coach Earl Garcia. Earl, Coach Garcia is a football coaching legend here in the state of Florida. Coach uh, Garcia is the head football coach at Hillsborough High School down here in Tampa, kind of my neck of the woods. We're going to talk to Coach Garcia about his career, about just the world of, of high school coaching these days, how it's changed over his career, uh, some of the things he likes to do away from football. And uh, Coach Garcia is in his 48th year of coaching. I mean, it must mean he, he's a young, young man. He... Uh, <laughs> In, back in 2018, he broke the, the Hillsborough County all-time winningest coaches record of wins for football in, in, the, in Hillsborough County here in, here in Tampa. And uh, real pleasure to bring you on the, on the podcast, Coach. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you uh, uh, as a WCOA official, as a personal friend, and I respect what you do. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, first question I want to ask, I want to lead off. It's not a football question. It's not a racing question. You have now got the – you can actually put this on your mantle and your resume. You've actually – you're going to now be coaching an Olympian. What are your thoughts of Arian Knighton, the 17-year-old 200-meter track and field uh, athlete from your high school? You coached him playing football just last year. He played for you in the last couple of years. Arian jumped onto the scene here in the last six, eight months. And now he's qualified for the 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo here in a couple of weeks. That, you know, it's unbelievable. It's uncharted waters for us. You know, we've had kids in the Super Bowl, former players in the Super Bowl. You know, 19 has, has gone on from, from Hillsborough to go to college and then play in the league. And so we've, we've, we're used to seeing football players out there. But Arian came to us as a 10th grader and, Coach Sip, Joe Sip is our track coach and also our offensive line coach. Uh, uh, we could see uh, in one workout this guy was special. Now, we've had some fast players, Jason. Yeah. You know, we've had Lindsey Lamar, who was up until Arian, the fastest guy we've had, and he played professionally and uh, is a college coach now. And we've had, you know, T-Rex and some of the other guys, uh, Terrence Mitchell, that have been really, really fast. But 
this guy was unbelievably so. And so Coach Sip took him under his wing and, and nurtured him on the track, on and off the track and the football field. And gosh, he ended up running a 1984, I believe, in the 200 meters. And he just blew up. He um, signed a professional track contract with Adidas in February. And so he's only scratched the surface. Wait until he he matures, sure. you know, Wait he's 17. His body matures a little bit more. I mean, yes, yes. And, and you know, we watched all the all the prelims and yeah. from Eugene, Oregon, and we're gonna have a watch party. We're trying to organize something out on a in the stadium at, at Hillsborough for the for the Olympics when he runs. So we're absolutely excited and, and really pulling for him. That's that's just unbelievable accomplishment. Obviously, the kid's 17 years old. A lot of people are comparing him to Usain Bolt. Yep. to some level with his future development. I mean, like you said, once he gets on a regimen of eating the right way every day, training, coach, getting the professional coaching that he'll get, he's, I mean, all eyes, unless something happens injury-wise with his body, there's no doubt that he, he can be a star in, in the world of track and field. But he's already a star. We, we feel he could be a, a world record holder, you know, and yep. uh, we won't let him play football anymore. He's, he's too much of a of a talent and a commodity on, on the track. So hopefully, like you said, Jason, he'll, he'll end up getting some great coaching and some great nutrition. And, you know, look at Tom Brady, he's 43 and right. And he's a testament for doing things the right way. And, and we're, we're hoping that uh, Ariane will do the same and, and get some good guidance on, on the back end of track. What kind of football player would he have been if he had focused on football? I'd heard that he had been recruited as, is he a wide receiver? Is that where he would oh, yes. played? Yes, he was a wide receiver. And the interesting thing about, about Arion Jason is, you know, he came to us. We didn't know who he was. He came to us from the West Chase Colts organization. And uh, after about half a workout, we're like, who is that kid? And gosh, he can run. Couldn't catch very well. Right. So uh, he worked hard at it. But the funny thing about Arion Jason is that he loved to block. And he would get as excited about knocking a, a DB on his butt as he would about catching a touchdown pass. And um, he was fun to coach. He was full of energy. He'd come up in the middle of practice and say things like, coach, do you like to fish? Said, get the hell away from me, Arian. I'm trying, trying to get through practice here. And, and, uh, he was a fun guy. I had a smile on his face. He was a good teammate. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't about me. I mean, he would, and, and defensively, he always had to account for where he was. We also put him on the defensive side of the ball. He'd whack you. And you sure, certainly couldn't get behind him. So, you know, that, that's a once in a lifetime talent right there. And uh, he could have, he had, he had uh, offers from Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, you right. know, uh, whatever the top 25, Florida, Miami, Florida State, USF, UCF. And, and, you know, he, the last time I talked to him, Jason, before he went to Eugene, he told me, you know, coach, I still want to play college football. Wow. Well, he can still play high school football because we, we asked the FHSAA to rule on him and the rules are the same for high school as they are in the NCAA. He just can't compete in the track, in the, in the uh, sport that he is a professional athlete. So he right. can play high school ball. He could play collegially. Now, I don't know where the most money is NFL or track, but uh, I would go where the money is. And now I do know for a fact that Adidas put a clause in his contract that his College will be paid for at right. his discretion, five years, room, board, tuition, books, and everything. So that's a good thing. And a good thing, like, I mean, I hate, I mean you, he's got the great thing is he's got options. So, God right. forbid something didn't work out in the track and field world in three or four years, he yeah. could go back to college or he could go straight to an NFL opportunity. Right. Somebody would probably give him an opportunity for a workout to make yep. a mini camp or a training camp type scenario. If that ever, if it ever, ho hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully he becomes a track and field star and all that stuff and, and great, but he will have some options if God forbid something didn't work out with track and field. No, I promise you, you're exactly right. I promise you if, if the worst he ever does or the best he ever does in track is running 1984, there's somebody out there, any college will take him. Yep. And, and uh, probably 28 out of 32 NFL teams. And when he qualified uh, in Eugene, I, I got a call from uh, one of the coaches of the university of Kansas who had texted me, in the process. And I'd said, you know, I, this is before he had qualified, Jason, I said, you know, he's uh, not going to play college football. I don't believe blah, blah, right. blah. So he texted me back the night he ran. He says, you were right. 
Ariane Knighton is a serious track athlete. I said, yes, he's a pretty fast guy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's pretty fast. He's got a lot of options. You're right. Yeah, people don't realize Hillsborough High School here in Tampa is a long lineage of, of stud players over the years. Dwight Gooden, Gary Sheffield. You know, you can tell uh, Vance, Vance uh, what's Vance's last? Yep. I mean, football-wise, you've had, like you said, how many guys have gone to the NFL from Hillsborough? Oh, gosh, just since I've been there, I've been the head coach since my 25th year. We've had 19 play in the league. Now, they're not, not all there right now, but we got three currently. We got uh, Charlie Hewlett is yeah. um, is with the Cleveland Browns. We got uh, Anthony Brown is a cornerback uh, for the Dallas Cowboys long time. I think he started about eight years there. And we got Aziz Al-Shahir, who played in the Super Bowl two years ago for the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, we're really proud of those guys. But, Jason, we're just as proud of the guys that go on to become, you know, go to the service, go sure. to become good uh, fathers, good husbands, and good employees. I remember, I, I think Dan Footman, a guy that I played, or that went to Florida State kind of around the time I went to FSU, he, was, he played in the NFL. He was a Hillsborough High School guy. I remember hearing Absolutely. stories that, that Dan Footman played tailback at Hillsborough running back, and he ended up being a defensive tackle at Florida State in the NFL for many a year. Well, you have a good memory. You're exactly right. I was the head coach at Gaither at the time, and the first time I set eyes on Dan Footman, he was a 10th grader running the 100. Back then, it was the 100-yard dash, and he was he looked like a grown man in, yes. in track shorts. And so we asked, who is that guy? He said, oh, he's a 10th grader at, at Hillsborough. Like, holy smokes. And, yes, he did play. <laughs> he had a catastrophic knee injury at Florida State, as a yeah. matter of fact, and yeah. it took him a year and a half to recover from it. But he still played. I think he played for who? The Ravens? Or yeah, the Colts, he played or several years in the NFL. Yep, absolutely. He did. he did. I had Jerron Bolden, who played yeah. 11 seasons. I had Jared Faison, who played nine seasons. And so we, we've been fortunate. We've had a lot of a lot of kids who have gone on, despite the coaching over there, to go on and be really good in college and in the NFL. And that's a credit to you and the and all your coaches and all your all the things you've put in place. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit. All right, talk to me. How did Coach Earl Garcia? How did you get into? Give me a little bit of your background. How did you get into football? Did you? I think you grew up in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to me about your kind of your evolution as a football coach. I uh, I did. I grew up uh, in Tampa. I um, my dad died when I was young. Now he had played at Florida briefly and. Um, he instilled two things in me before he passed on. I was 11 years old when he died, but he loved football and he loved motorsports. And that's where I'm at now. Um, so I, I played, I was a very, very average player in high school. I did get a chance to play in college. I let it as a freshman and then promptly flunked out. But I was one of those guys, Jason, that knew that I wanted to be a high school football coach when I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, and, and that that is very comforting when you're a 15, 16, 17 year old kid to know what you want to do for a vocation. And, and when I graduated from USF, um, I went into coaching. Um, I, I figured I would be a high school coach for four or five years and then go on and set all the win records in the NCAA and the NFL as a head coach. And uh, that's slightly didn't happen. I've been in the high school level for 48 years. I love every minute of it. Um, I still get up every morning and can't wait to get started. Um, have a really great staff that's been around me. And most of those guys have been around me for my whole tenure there. So um, it, it's a, it's a lifestyle. You know, I have the best coach's wife in the history of coaches wives because we don't make any money and, She's the first lady of Hillsborough football, Gilda, and she's been here. We, we, we live right down the street, literally. Uh, Coach actually lives like two blocks away from the high school. Is that right? Three blocks. Three okay. blocks. You, you walk out my backyard, you can see the school. So, you know, uh, she's a principal down the street, and she's a principal in the house, too. So That's life right. is good, man. My, my son's a coach. My grandson's getting ready to play, too. What, um, what was your first head coach in the high school head coaching opportunity? My first head coaching opportunity was at Boca Ciega. I was there for two years yeah. uh, in South St. Pete and had, had a, a good time. I met some great people and Bogey at the time was in transition. Um, Bogey had gone three Owen tens in a row um, before we got there. And, and we did some good things. We, we won three the first year, five the second year. And then uh, I was still living in Tampa and commuting. So they opened Gaither and, um, that uh, I had a chance to come back as OC at, at Gaither. I did that for uh, three years and then was promoted to head coach and was there for uh, five years as head coach, got fired from that job. 
um, found out that the this is, my wife wasn't a principal at the time. Now I understand the principal always wins. And uh, the, <laughs> right. the principal and I didn't see eye to eye. And um, so he wins. Uh, I ended up going back to Hillsborough because I had coached at Hillsborough in the 70s and early 80s and had always loved the tradition of Hillsborough, had always loved the kids, the kids of blue collar like me. Yeah. Um, had a chance to go back to Hillsborough for one year as DC and then has been have been head coach since 93 there. Yeah, you were you I'm sure you were the uh down the street. I, I went to as you probably know, I went to school at Lato and Gaither yep. obviously was a opened up down the street from Lato as the new school yes. for Gaither was Gaither High School. So you knew Alex Albert, Alex coached me oh, at yeah. Lato and and all that stuff. And he was very similar to you, very very hard-nosed guy, just a, a, a just a common man and and just you know really tried to put a program together and very similar yep. to you, he, he coached us up, and we had a couple of good years at, at Leto. We were never great, but we were very competitive and all that stuff. So you really did. Uh, Leto was Leto beat us one year over there, man. Leto were district champions under yep. Alex. You know, I, I believe Alex is a high school administrator in Ohio. Yep, now, I he, knew, Yep. So Alex, yeah, he, was, uh, he had the good sense to get out of it. And David Mitchell was another guy who I know you yeah. know well. He was a wide receiver coach for me at Lato when I was over there. So yep. there's still some guys and he yep. just retired from Wharton high school. He had been he at did. Wharton for a long time. I know, you know him real well. So, all right. Yeah. Mitch so, is one of the good guys, man. Yeah, he is. David is a good guy. All right. So you've been at Hills for 25 years. I know I'm sure there've been some opportunities to go other places, whether it's in Hillsborough County, other places in the state of Florida, what's kind of kept you, at Hillsborough for 25 years, building the legacy, building the culture that you built over there, as opposed to taking an opportunity where, again, maybe there's some more financial resources to develop a more of a program, more better facilities, things like that. What has kept you at Hillsborough High School all these years? That's a great question. And I think all the all the folks, all the media folks I've talked to, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. So that, that's a great question. It's a combination of things. One is basically family. That that was number one. Gilda's family is from Tampa as well. She's born and raised here. So the lifestyle of a college coach, you know, like we had this conversation in the coach's office on Friday, yesterday afternoon. When you flip on the TV on Saturday afternoon and you see Florida against Florida State, Ohio against uh, Ohio State against Michigan, you know, that is that is what every coach aspires to be a part of. But what you don't see is the off season. You don't see January, February, March, April. You don't see that you have to uproot your family on the average of every two years. And, you know, you may go from, from Valdosta state to uh, UAB for two years and from right. UAB to Wichita and from Wichita to and after, after a while, you know, you just realize what, what's really important. What's really important is providing a stable place for your kids. Yeah. And that's what Gil and I decided to do. Yes, I did have, I've had five opportunities to go to college. Um, the the most recent was probably with Skip at USF when Coach Holtz was there. Yeah. And actually he offered me a job the the day before he got fired. So he called me back. He says, all right, never mind. <laughs> and, you know, it was really funny because Gil and I were sitting on the beach and I told her, you know, I might have gone this time simply because I like Skip Holtz. And uh, I, I think working with him would have been enjoyable. At this point in my life, I'll be 69 in a week. Yep. Um, I, I'm glad that I didn't go, that we didn't go. I'm glad we stayed here. I mean, my, we, we laid down roots. My daughter is successful. My son was coach of the year over in Hernando County this past season. And the kids are, you know, they had a home base. Uh, they slept in the same bed all through elementary junior and senior high school. So I'm good. We have enough money to pay the bills. And ultimately, Gil makes the money in the family. And so that's a good thing. She lets me coach. Yeah, so I'm, the, I'm glad we stayed, though. That's the thing people don't realize. In the state of Florida, as opposed to a lot of other states, high school coaches, whether it's football, basketball, soccer, they make you guys make a stipend. A, you know, I don't even know what the number yes. is. It doesn't matter what the number is. But you go to some of these other states, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, yes. a guy like you just would be the football coach. You wouldn't have right. to do any teaching. You'd yep. be the football coach, and you'd be making six figures easily in a place like Valdosta, Georgia, Birmingham, yes. Alabama, you know, Houston, Texas, places like that, where all you have yes. to do is be the football coach. I don't mind telling you, Jason, our stipend in Hillsborough County is $3,700 a year. Right. So, so that 
and it's less for the assistants. Oh, the, the, the assistance is, is half. Yeah, half of that. Half yeah. of nothing is still nothing. Yeah. You know, uh, and we have, I have three paid ju- uh, varsity assistants and three paid junior varsity assistants, which right. is even less than that. Right. But I have 15 people on my staff. So if I have six that are paid and I have 15, do the math. That doesn't work out. So most of my guys are working for a shirt and a pair of shoes. Yep. And out of the goodness of their heart. So, you, you know, we're at the mercy and I've been so blessed and our kids have been so blessed that I've been able to surround our kids in our program with men who really give a darn about youngsters right. and football. They just happen to be knowledgeable football people, but they really care about our kids. And, that, and that's why we've been able to be a stable program and average nine wins a year for 25 seasons, you know? And, and people, again, people don't realize Hills, if you don't, if you're not from the area, Hillsborough high school, is in a area of town that's being gentrified big time, but it, but it still has it still has plenty of depressed areas, neighborhoods in yeah. that area where coaches dealing with with kids that are in tough some tough family dynamics and things like that. So it's not like he's living yeah. in the he's in the suburbs working with the lawyer's son and the and the doctor's Ooh. son all the time. He's unfortunately having to deal with some kids that are coming from some tough family backgrounds. On that point, how do you like again? you're a white guy and you're dealing mostly with African-American athletes and, and Latino mm-hmm. kids and Hispanic kids. How have you embraced that male figure? Cause you're, you're, you're the, you're, you're in some cases, the only male figure in some of those kids life, good, bad, yes. or indifferent. How do you embrace that? How do you think those kids have embraced you as kind of that figure in their life? Another great question, Jason. It, it's, um, up until COVID, what we would do is we would have all of our coaches do home visits during the summer months so that we could better see how our kids were living. Right. So w- when you realize that some of our kids basically, and this sounds like rhetoric that you hear on the internet, but we have some kids that eat breakfast at school and lunch at school. And then it's a, it's a, a toss up whether they're going to get dinner uh, or what's going to be for dinner or how many siblings are going to be there. Or if they're going to be right. responsible for taking their youngster, younger siblings to school or getting them bathed and showered before the end of the day. So yes, there's some really sad stories. So we, we do our best to get to know our kids, not, not as a wide receiver, as a linebacker, as a kicker, as, as a human being, you know, and what I have found being at Hillsborough for all these years because I was there five as an assistant and now 25 as a senior, uh, as the head coach and the, the senior uh, guy in the county, is that um, a lot of our kids are very reticent, are very reluctant to trust you until they realize that you're for them. Right. And they almost hold on to you with an air of desperation. Like, if I don't get it from you, and, and we talk about this in our staff meetings, and, and I tell my assistant coaches, listen, just figure that you're the only male figure in a kid's in the kid's life right now. So I want you to touch your players. I don't mean Michael Jackson, Jerry Sandusky. I mean, hug your players, shake his hand, love him up when he does good. I want you to start and finish every practice with something either personal, how's your family doing, or academic. Because, again, a lot of these kids, the male figures in their life are the, are the bad side of the street. Guys yes. that are trying to get them to do the bad things, to get involved in whatever, it's drug dealing or or whatever the bad thing may be, unfortunately. But you're the guy that has to always reinforce the positive things about the importance of going to school, the importance of not, you know, missing school, going to football yes. practice, things like that, and how structure is, so, is such a valuable thing in somebody's life as opposed to chaos. Absolutely. And, and you know, kids will say that they don't want structure, but structure is extremely comforting for kids. When they know you have to be at a certain time, at a certain place and there are repercussions if you don't, you know, that's like the parent that's, that gives their kids back in the day, uh, you, you have a 1130 curfew and then the kid busts his butt to get home at 1130 and the parents are uh, dead asleep. It's like, oh, well, hell, hell yeah, I could have stayed out all night. Um, so you, you need to be constant. The rules need to be the same. And that's something I'm probably most proud of to, uh, much more than the wins and all that is that, our program really, Jason, hasn't changed since 1993. The same things that got you in trouble in 93 will get you in trouble in 21. The same things that you will get uh, rewarded for in 93, and that's being a good citizen. We have two rules <clears throat> at Hillsborough. Do right and be where you're supposed to be. 
when they're supposed to be there. I know that when if if, if I follow those rules here at home, Gilda's going to be happy. If I do right and be where I'm supposed to be, uh, when I'm supposed to be there, then we're all happy, you know. And we try to preach that. We try to preach being selfless and and uh, being a good teammate and doing the best that we possibly can. We talk about a lot of things that have nothing to do with football. Especially at this time of year in the summer when the kids got more free time and they're not in school, this is probably the more challenging time for you is to keep up with your kids because, you know, as much as you want to hope everybody's going to come to the workout four days a week in the summertime, some kids either have to work, can't get there, don't have a means to get there, have to take care of their brothers and sisters. Yep. How, How does the summer, how do you handle the summertime? Well, you're absolutely right. You can tell you grew up in Tampa uh, and you know what's going on. Yes, there, w- you know, we take role, obviously. We tell them it's mandatory. A kid misses, we call them and find out what's going on. Yeah. You know, you're going to have those those variables that you said. Also, another big thing at Hillsborough is when the buses don't run, our kids have a hard time getting to school. Right. So I have coaches that pick up kids every day. We carpool, we bring them, we bring them, we feed them breakfast in the morning. And we feed them lunch in the evening before we go before they go home. So we're still feeding them breakfast and lunch. We're picking them up, and we got a safe haven. I mean, like there's there's days when we there's not days. Every day we got to tell them get out. We're closing the doors. You know, we've been here since seven. It's two thirty. Get out of here. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm so proud that my coaches get paid zero for the summer too. Right. They get paid nothing. I get paid nothing. And my coaches, for the most part, if they're not working to help pay the bills for their household. Every one of them are involved in my summer program, in our summer program. So that's that's really good for our boys. Very good, very good. How e- how hard has it been? Like you mentioned, the, the, the same things in '93 or the same things in '21. The the coach, your your world of coaching, the techniques that you the I don't I want to say the 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 way you handle kids has changed drastically in 30 years since '93. When I was in school, '91 about. Hey, lack of water. Think just practice kind of things that are much more apparent now that you can't get away with that you could probably get away with 25, 30 years ago. How have you as a coach adapted and adjusted to those changes of, of how you have to coach them? Well, well, you know, uh, how old are you, Jason? You 35 40, years old? 47. 47. 47. Oh, my goodness. You're doing good. So you're 47. A, a man, you know how you were coached? Yes. And I'm 69. You know how I was coached. And I was a kicker. I didn't have to do all the hard work. I just kicked and running. <laughs> you guys that were yeah. playing defensive line and receiver and running back all day getting hit. Yep. But you you were a smarter guy than the rest of us. <laughs> we were down there, especially little fat guys like me, you couldn't run. So we were down in a hole. But yeah, the 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 coaching today is unrecognizable as what it was when I started in 1974, yeah. the kids are more fragile, Jason. <clears throat> they are, they're more fragile. And, you know, the numbers nationally are down in high school for the number of kids that are participating. There's a, there's a litany of reasons why, but you do, you have to, you have to, kids want to know why when you ask them to do something. Right. And uh, when we, when I started coaching in the seventies, we had water breaks one a day yeah. and now we have, you know, and that was revolutionary back in seventies. I mean, in the sixties, when I played, we didn't even have water in college when I played in college in 1970. So uh, now uh, trainers, uh, uh, videos, we have, I was a 16 millimeter guy, if you can believe that, but yes, uh, but getting back to the, to the kids themselves, they're more fragile. They are, they get their feelings hurt. And a, a lot, a lot of that I attribute to social media, because if you really stop and think about it, social media is a self-promoting tool. Sure. And uh, I mean, that's all Facebook is, you know, look where I went on vacation. Look what a great husband, father, mother, sister, brother I am. And and it's the same thing for these kids. They promote themselves athletically. Uh, They tend to believe the BS that they're even putting on there. So consequently, when you coach kids hard, like we do at Hillsboro, we don't dog cuss them, but we coach them hard. If you're, you know, I tell the boys, your job is to please your coach. That don't mean me, your position coach. And after a while, there's some guys can't stand that and they transfer and that's fine. And there's some guys that come and thrive on that. But you know what? I have found, I've talked to hundreds of college coaches. It's the same at that level too. It's the same in the pros. They have to basically watch how they coach the kids. You know, there ain't, ain't going to be any more junction boys. 
You can forget and, that. And just, you know, just things like putting your hands on the kid. Back in the day, oh you, could, you could, I won't say give an example, but you can't really put, you can't put your hands on the kid anymore. Like you, like some oh. used to do that. You can't slap them in the helmet all the time. Like oh. you used, you can't cuss at them. Like you maybe could used <laughs> to do 25 years ago. I mean, and it'd be just yep. in those in water breaks. You have to have mandatory number of water breaks. You know, there's a oh, certain yes. number of days a year. You can't be in pads. Just all yes. those kind of things that weren't the way it was 20, 25 years ago. No, we don't even have two a days anymore. That right. was a rite of passage. You know, if you got through two a days, you were a man. Right. You were ready for basic training back then. You go to the go to the uh, service, but can't have two a days. We have a one hour walk through, and right. then we can have a two and a half hour practice. You know, that's those aren't two a days. So it, it's it's softened the game, but still the the players that flourish today flourish because of the same tendencies that they had in the 60s i'm sure the 50s and 40s tough guys they got to be more mentally tough today because they're they're more mentally fragile today than i think right but physically bigger faster and stronger jason than when we played yep absolutely no doubt no doubt and obviously the training methods have gotten way better the nutrition has gotten way better for most people uh you know taking care of your body for those even 14 15 year old kids taking care of their bodies so many of your so many kids around the country have personal coaches, whether it's a quarterback's coach, lineman coach, kicking coach, you know, and the sad part is it rubs against the high school coach a lot because the personal coach is telling them one thing and you're telling them something else sometimes. And there's a dichotomy yep. and, you, and, and the kid doesn't know, you know, who do I believe? Well, that was exactly the, the situation that led to Tom Brady leaving the New England Patriots, that his personal trainer uh, was thrown out of, of the Patriots facility and right. he got pissed and one thing led to another and here we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trainers, and his personal trainer's down the street in Armenia Avenue in Tampa now. <laughs> <laughs> now he's here and he's got another Super Bowl trophy. So right. I think I'd have let the personal trainer stay if I'd have been Belichick. <laughs> Where, where's football going in the next 10 years? What's the next wave? I know... We've gone from I formation to spread offense. Is there another transformation of offensive football or defensive football? You, you've gone I, from I, zone defenses to man-to-man. Where, where's it going? Uh, what I see now, and, and I, I, have, I have morphed into someone that's rec- unrecognizable from when I started coaching, because in the 70s, I was a defensive coach, and we had to defend – Wishbone. The wishbone and the split back veer. You ain't kidding. All option football. Okay. And football is, is cyclic like everything else. We're in a, in a RPO phase right now. And right. for folks that don't know what that means, that's a run pass option. And we run, as a matter of fact, in the second round, we ran two RPOs that basically allowed us to come back from a 10 point, 10 to nothing deficit at the half against Auburndale end up winning 26-20 and moving on to the third round. But an RPO is whatever the defense does, they're wrong. <laughs> if they play the run, we'll throw the ball. If they play the, the the pass, we'll run the ball. And that's exactly what we did. So I see a lot of that happening. But, you know, when you break down an RPO, it's option football again, Jason. Right. You know, and if you look at the wishbone, that was a variation of the T formation that Bud Wilkinson put in in the 40s and 50s at Oklahoma. So, if you look at Urban's offense, it's a lot of wing T and, and uh, uh, wing T uh, concepts. So it just looks different. But you know what football is? Blocking and tackling. The teams right. that block and tackle the best, the most consistently, and kick the ball and cover kicks. Right. Um, that that's another thing. I know you're a kicker and you're yep. a very knowledgeable kicking instructor. But I also know that back when I played, you, we worked on special teams for 15 minutes on Thursday. And now I have a special team coordinator who bitches like hell if I don't give him the same amount of time as the offense and defense. Yep. They're the only segment that gets a 15-minute special period in front of practice, and then we go 25, 20 more minutes. So they're working 35 minutes on kick a day. It's it's the a most undercoached you know? part of high school football there is. And I tell coaches yep. whenever I get a chance, if you would spend a little more time on special yep. teams, whether it's learning how to protect a punt or, or be aggressive enough to teach them how to block a punt the right way or yep. kick off coverage. You, these average teams could be above average and the, and the above average teams could be great teams. So they spent that little more 15, 20 minutes a day more, instead of 
running that RPO play 20 more times. Yep. If yep. they would spend a little more time on punt coverage, how, teach a kid how to block a punt, how to yep. rush the, on a field goal attempt, those kind of things. Because yep. how many games have you been involved with in your career that you've lost on a missed extra point or a botched botched snap or a botched hold, whatever, Absolutely. that, you know, I hate to say it, it, that separates the great coaches from the good coaches and the great teams from the good teams. Absolutely. You know, it's funny we're having this part of the conversation because last two weekends ago, I spoke with the Pop Warner coaches and we had this very, very, I was making that very point that the the worst, the, the worst, the more poor team you have, the more time you better spend on special teams right? because, you, you know, I, I personally I know a lot about coverage. I know a lot about protections. I don't know beans about kicking. Right. That's why I called you, Jason, come help my kick, right. you know, but um, it, it's, it's really, really, really important. I, just like you said, a poor team can be, can become an average team if they'll just work on that every day. You gotta work field on every position and yardage of a good punt yep. returner, a good kick returner, a block field goal or a block, block punt. That's just that much less yardage. You got to produce on offense or deep or defend on defense. Yep. Well, look, Charlie Hewlett, who is a long snapper of ours. Yep. He didn't want a long snap. He had giant hands. I was a long snapper in college too, along with high school and middle school. And I made him long snap. Now he's the highest paid long snapper in the NFL and NFL history. He's making a million five. He was at our place Thursday, uh, working with our long snappers. And I called some right. of the other uh, coaches and buddies of mine told him to send there. So Andres, who is a, Yep. Uh, the head coach at Steinbrenner, he sent me his, and Matt Kitchy over at Leonard sent me his. Right. And um, he worked with all those long snappers. And, you know, he's making, he's made a very nice living throwing a ball between his legs. <laughs> so, and that was, yes. that was probably a guy that was, that was probably not fast enough or aggressive enough yep. to be a linebacker or whatever he was playing. But like you said, whether it's college, every college now pretty much has a designated long snapper that's on scholarship. Yep. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Charlie got a scholarship uh, at UCF and yep. signed with the Cowboys originally at, and then have been with, and is a team captain with the Cleveland Browns. Right. We went up there and stayed in his house and uh, watched the game and it, it, he's made a very nice living. I, I, I Thursday evening now we were talking he says, uh, I said, what are you going to do when you quit playing? He goes, well, I figure I'll be about 35, 36. He says, coach, I think I've made enough money where I really don't have to do anything. I said, you win. You win, Charlie. That's right. There you go. 35 and retired. I'll do it. What's your, what's been, okay. I know you had a great year last year on the field. Let's talk about a couple on-field things. What's been your most heartbreaking loss as a coach? I know you've never won the state championship at nope. Hillsborough yet. I know you've gotten close a couple times. Kind of what's been the most heartbreaking loss of your career? Um, well, to that point, to your point, I would have to say the state finals against Carroll City. They had seven NFL players on that team. We had one, but we lost that one 21-7 and uh, was was in the ball game until we got a punt block. Until <laughs> we got a punt block. Yep. And um, we ended up going down 14 nothing at the half and losing 21-7. That would have to be the biggest. You, you know, uh, my wife has got a 24 hour rule in the house. I can only be pissed off for 24 hours and she won't <laughs> let it happen anymore. So um, I, I try to car, uh, compartmentalize right. every loss. You know, what, what did I do as a head coach and as a manager that led to that? And how can I prevent the next one? So uh, as a coach, you just try to learn from your losses and try not, try not to get too high when you win and not too sure. low when you lose, but um, that was probably the most difficult. I know you're, I mean, you're a competitor inside and out, man. I don't care. You're going to, you know, it's, those are the ones you think about. You, you think about the losses yep. 10 times more than you think about the wins. And just, I Amen. know those, you know, bro, I know you've been in a lot of playoff games and a lot of big, you know, district finals and regional final yep. kind of situations. And that's the joy of what you do. That's why you do it. I'm sure forget it's not the 3,700 bucks. It's to be in that <laughs> position in yep. late November early December where you got a chance to win it all, right? Well, you got it. You know, the, the, the losses hurt more than the wins feel good. Does that, yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like last year, we, we thought we had a pretty good team. We got most of our team coming back from, from last year. We're going to miss our kicker who's uh, at Troy. Now uh, right. we're going to miss uh, our tight end. That was a first team all stater. That's at Avila college, Avila university in Kansas city. 
and we're going to miss our nose guard. But other than that, everybody's back. And uh, we were getting ready to get in, uh, play the first game of the season, and our whole offensive and defensive line and offensive and defensive line coaches came down with COVID. So we had, <clears throat> excuse me, we had three games that were that were canceled. So we missed game one, two, and three. That would have been right. Braden River. We would have been Gaither and uh, I can't remember, Blake was was the next game. All right. So our first game was the third game of the year for Armwood. So we had to go to Armwood and play. Now, here's something the average fan may not know because I didn't know. When a player last year, with the protocols that we had, when the player came back from a positive COVID uh, case, he could not come right back to practice. Not like a sprained ankle. When he can go, he can go, right? No. So he had to practice 50% of practice on Monday, 75% of practice on Tuesday. He could practice on Wednesday and Thursday. So basically all of our fat guys, who had been sitting home power feeding for two weeks of, right. uh, and I had two guys that were positive and all the rest of them were quarantined because all the fat guys are like cows. You know, they migrate together in the weight room. They migrate together in the locker room. They eat together in the, in the cafeteria. So they were all yeah. quarantined. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the few times, Jason, like you said, I am a competitive guy. That's one of the few times I, I figured we were going to get our asses handed to us by Armwood. We had to go over there, right? So at the end of the first, we weren't ready to play. I mean, the kids physically weren't ready to play. Right. So after the first quarter, the good guys were winning seven to nothing. And at the half, we were losing 24 to seven. And at the end of the game, we lost 56 to seven, 56 to 10. And that was, we, we were defenseless. Just I could hope more, of a conditioning, more of a conditioning thing than it was a X's and O's probably. No, hundred percent. It was a hundred percent conditioning. We, I tried to get on the buses at the half, but <laughs> the bus drivers had gone to get something to eat and I couldn't find them. I'd have left at halftime because we were, our kids were out of gas. So that was very frustrating. Right. But then we reeled off eight straight wins, yep. including <clears throat> two playoff wins against um, heritage over on the East coast, which was pretty cool because we had a, a caravan going there and they shot a, a SpaceX rocket off at the Cape, which is down oh, the street. Nice. So we got to see a rocket launch by accident. That's we beat cool. their butts, then came back and beat Auburndale and then lost. We dropped our Olympian dropped three touchdown passes against <laughs> Palmetto and we lost 26, 20. <laughs> He's not getting paid for his hands, coach. It's his legs. Nope. <laughs> nope. And that's the last game he played for Hillsborough. And now he's in Tokyo. <laughs> How is uh, a couple more questions? I'll get you out of here. How is your thoughts of just the transfer mentality of kids these days? The state of Florida has a transfer rule in place where you can you can move around a lot more freely than you used to. What are your thoughts on kids moving yes. from school to school just more much more freer than they could in previous years? Well, you, you know, here's the way I feel about it: is if the state of Florida says choice is a parent's choice. And they are big into choice, a parent having parents having um, being able to to have a choice where their child goes to school. The tax dollars are the same. Let them go. I mean, like, let's not let's not fool ourselves. If you, Jason, have a daughter or a son who's a gifted musician, you should be able to send him or her to Blake because that's our performing arts school. All right. On the other hand, if you have a son who's a fabulous wrestler, if you feel like Brandon is the best program, you should be able to do that too. I mean, as long as you can provide transportation. So, I mean, let's face it, the good teams at any level that win every year are not coaching the kids that jump off the bus. Right. They are getting kids that are not in their zip code. Right. I don't care if it's baseball, football, basketball track. And if Dade County who wins six out of eight state championships every year, Dade Broward area down there, yeah, if they go if they go by a set of rules that are that are less restrictive than ours, then we would have a hard time competing, and that is the case in any sport. So I'm all for it. Go where you want. Being that you're the kind of the dean of coaches in kind of Hillsborough County, if not the state of Florida, do you ever have to sometimes have talks with guys that you know are doing some nefarious things behind the scenes that you hear stories, or the other way, the younger guy always thinks, well. Hell, the only way Coach G over at Hillsborough keeps winning is because he's recruiting or he's doing whatever. How do you have those discussions with your colleagues, friends of yours, I'm sure, over the years that you know, hey, he may be doing something he shouldn't be doing? 
how do you kind of approach that kind of stuff when you when you kind of hear about that kind of stuff? Yes to all the above. Yes. <laughs> and I remember, I, <laughs> remember I, I've had eight, eight of my kids, eight of my coaches go on to become head coaches. Right. So, and all have, have good relationships. And so they'll call me on, on getting a kid into their school right. or they'll call me and say, Hey, I heard a kid, my kid is going to your school. And you know, there's hoops that have to be met. You have, you have to do it the right way as they say. And yes, I, I have called, I called a, uh, a coach right down the street from me a couple of years ago, he got five of mine, <laughs> five, including the quarterback. And, and, and here's what I tell the kids. <clears throat> and I tell the kids and the coaches too, do it the right way. If you want to leave Hillsborough and go to, let me pick a school out, Jefferson, and you want to go to Jefferson, come and tell me, come and tell me, and I'll help you go because athletes are like women. You can't make a woman stay. If she wants to go, <laughs> you got to go. If you make them stay, it's not going to work out. Yep. <laughs> so, just tell me so I can plan on that. Don't don't come three days before spring ball and disappear. All right. Because that, that's and you know what? I blame the parents 100 percent for that, yep. because teach your kid to do it the right way. You, you think you got a better opportunity somewhere else. You think you can get more playing time. You think you get more exposure somewhere else. Come tell the coach that shake his hand. Say, look, thank you for the time you spent with me. Uh, be honest, say, I don't like you as a person, or I don't like your offense, or I don't like this assistant coach I'm working with, I'm leaving. And I'm good with that, Jason. Right. I'm real good with that. But just to backdoor and sneak out of the school after coaches have spent, not just me, all my guys have spent time with our guys, that's, that's you're sending the wrong message to your kid. So when he leaves a job, or he leaves a, a marriage, walks out the back door, that, you know, who are you going to blame, the kid or the parent? Right. You can't enroll or withdraw without a parent. True. That's right. Now you're right. You're right. All right. Talk to me about the name, image, and lightning. Obviously, college is now adopted where the kids can now earn some revenue when they're in college. How is that going to affect recruiting of high school kids? Whether it's, you know, I want to recruit a kid to a school where there's in a, in a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, where there's no pro sports, where you're the only game in town, as opposed yep. to Tampa, Florida, where you got the Bucks, you got the Lightning, you got USF. You know, how do you think that's going to affect recruiting and a kid's ambition and goals to get to maybe go to college and say, hey, there's some, there's some money at the end of the train at the end of the, uh, the rainbow? Well, th that's another great question, because if you look at where the NCAA has has morphed in the last four or five years. First of all, back up a step. The transfer portal right. has created a, an absolute monster and a disaster, a disaster. I have had college coaches tell me about it. They'll be recruiting one of my kids. How long has he been with you? Has Did he transfer in from another school? And I'm like, I never got those questions before. So I asked a coach from Alabama. I said, why are you asking me that? He said, because Coach Saban, won't take a kid that's transferred more than one time out of high school. Right. Cause he figures he'll transfer in the portal as soon as he gets the chance. So that's change recruiting. Okay. As far as the, the paying the players, I, I don't know how it's going to be an equitable thing. How do you pay whoever the, the Heisman trophy winner, how do you pay them X amount of dollars <clears throat> when the swimmer, the girl swimmer or the boy swimmer or the tennis player or the golfer, those guys are busting their butt too. Do, is it, right. is it merely supply and demand? You know, I mean, I is, think the it's is the barbecue be a, joint going to say, I want to sign the offensive lineman to be my representatives for a commercial right. at the barbecue place right. because they're the big guys. And, or is they going to, yes. are they going to go for the quarterback or the good looking volleyball girl or the, or the, the attractive tennis player or whatever? Yes. Yes. To all the above once again because there's a lot of money out there yes. and a lot of these kids come from situations where they need the money do i think they've been exploited in the past absolutely college football ncaa is a billion with a b a billion dollar business and the, and they make billions of dollars off these kids and i think the kids get 25 dollars a month for laundry money right. no th that that's that's hypocritical yes we should be paying we should have a stipend but i think it should Personally, I think it should be across the board the same to every male and female student, regardless of sport, because you you're going to pay the kicker nothing and the quarterback's going to get an extra you know 20 grand a month that that's going to lead to a lot of problems, because you know what, Jason, it happens 
in the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA, there's a lot of jealousy in those locker rooms. I was going to say that's where the, that's where I think it's going to be more than anything is the jealousy of the, the offensive yes. lineman, the, the backup left guard blocking for the quarterback who's getting all the yes. endorsements or, or, or right. blocking for that wide receiver. That DB thinks, why am I not getting a piece of the pie when the receiver is getting yep. all the all the all the uh, you know sponsorship money? That's where I think yep. it's going to be a big deal is in the locker rooms. It is. It is. I, I, I think the locker room is a changed animal. It used to be a sanctuary. It used to be sacred. Yep. What happened in the locker room, you know, yep. the, to me, it, it's still like that in high school. That's why it's the purest form of football as we know it is in high school, because there's still a certain percentage of our players that are playing for competitive for the competition end of it and being a member of a team. And we preach that to our kids. This will probably most likely be the last time you're a member of a team. Enjoy every minute of it, man. And as the coach, how do you how do you manage at the college level when the quarterback's getting the, the car deal at the Ford dealership and everybody yep. knows he's got the deal? How do you stay on him and make sure that he understands? I don't give a damn that you're getting the car deal. I expect you to run and wait, work right. out, all those things that you yep. got to do to be a part of the team. Oh, th th those are great questions. Uh, how about the early signing date? Now, they talked about the early signing date moving up to August. Now, let me tell you what, that would have destroyed high school ball because you get a, a a kid that signs with the University of Florida in August, and he goes, you know what? I, I don't have to play my senior year. Yeah. Just like the just like the college players are, are opting out of the bowl games now, yep. they'll opt out of their senior season. They'll get a personal trainer, and they'll go get bigger, fa faster, and stronger. That would have killed us. Right. That would have killed us. So. I don't know. I see. I see the NCAA going. I'm. I got more in the rear view than I got in the windshield. <laughs> so I know. Yeah. You get, Ten years from now, Jason, I don't know what what NCAA is going to be like. I know what right. the NFL is going to be like. Right. Yep. Right. I don't know. All right. Last thing, I'll get you out of here. Talk about the the, the joy of your son. I know Earl. Me. I know Earl. Your son Earl Jr. A little bit. Talk about how excited you are for him and he's getting an opportunity again at Hernando high school. He's done well. Where did he get, where did he get those jeans, man? He's like six foot three. He's like 240 pounds. He looks like, an, he looks like a damn power lifter. Where did he get those jeans from, man? Red hair. Red hair, six, three, not only, not only a, a hell of an athlete, a gifted musician, Jason. Yes. He can sing, play all the, he writes music. I don't know. I've been saving up for DNA testing. <laughs> I, I'm not quite certain. But uh, he's a hell of a lot smarter and a better coach than I. It's been great fun. You know, he was my DC for yep. 10 years. Yeah. And that was fun. That was a lot of fun coaching with your son. First of all, coaching my son was my biggest joy in coaching because, <clears throat> excuse me, at a time when typically parents pull apart in their teens or mid teens, we had a chance to share every day for three years. And to this day, we still talk about stupid stuff. <clears throat> that happened in practice games, et cetera, or dummies that we had on the team. Uh, <clears throat> it's been great watching him. He's the uh, coach of the year over there in Hernando. And I, I've had a chance to go over and watch a game. I watched the spring game, went over to, uh, for his golf tournament. And man, those people are taking great care of him over there. Good. They're excited about him there. Um, he is also um, going back into the classroom this year. He'll be teaching, um, uh, social studies over yeah. there, which is good for him. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, life is good for him. And, and, you know, he'll call me and ask me my opinion on a situation. I'll call him and ask him, like, we're putting some RPOs this weekend. So I said, all right, he can't comes over almost every day to the house. I said, I draw it up. Tell me about this. You know, during the, during the fake hurricane, we have sitting on a porch <coughs> having a bourbon and I was drawing up plays and he was defending it. So, <clears throat> excuse me it, it's been a lot of fun uh and you know he's got a he told me I, i'll win the state championship for you all so he got a lot more chances now <laughs> trust me when he's 40 when, i'm 80 so when's father gonna go when's the son gonna go visit the father on the new turf field <coughs> on a friday night in early september when's that funny meeting? you say that they're coming over they're coming over thursday night we're gonna play a little seven on seven on our turf okay and, and so so our guys are like, coach, we're going to embarrass your kid, your, your son. I said, you better, you better beat them like a stepchild. <laughs> so we're looking forward to this Thursday night. That's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, talk to me about your love of, of, away from the field. 
your love of car racing. I know you're a big racing guy. You love Daytona, Indianapolis. Where did that come from? And, and just your, your joy when you're away from football? Well, I really, uh, it's my family number one. And then I don't have a lot of, a lot of hobbies. I used to bass fish, believe it or not. I used to play a lot of golf, but to be good at bass fishing and golf, it takes a lot of time, especially when you're a non-athlete like me. So, um, racing, uh, I've, I've enjoyed racing since I can, I can't remember when, uh, we have a home in Indianapolis across the street from the main entrance. You can right. stand on my porch and watch and see the pagoda. We have a place on Daytona beach, three and a half miles from the main entrance at, at, uh, at Daytona international. So, uh, I go to as many races as I can. We go to the 24 hour. I, if there's two dogs walking down the street, I'll stop and watch. <laughs> I want to see which one is the fastest because to me, motorsports blends everything that I'm not good at athleticism and mechanics. Yeah. Okay. Like when we get done with this, with this podcast right now, my wife is going to hang some overhead fans in the patio and I'm going to hold the ladder. I don't know anything about mechanics. I'm with you, man. I'm terrible guys. at that stuff. I'm terrible at that stuff. <clears throat> me, I, I've given up. That's one of the few times I'm very competitive, but a pair of pliers, I don't know what you're in to use. And my wife is Cuban. She can do body work. She can, <laughs> she can do everything. <laughs> she can do anything. So um, it, it always fascinated me, the science of the mechanical end of, of, of motorsports and then the team sport, because the, the pit crews are all, they're all right. ex-college uh, football players now. They're athletic as hell. And then whoever thinks that a driver is not an athlete has never paid attention to being on 275 at 55 miles an hour with a guy too close to you. And you're looking in the rear view mirror, call him a, a damn idiot. Imagine 40 of those guys at 195 miles an hour for 500 miles. If you don't think that's athletic and that takes some, some guts, yeah. some balls, you're out of your mind. No, you're <laughs> right. You. You're right. Love you're that right. stuff, man. Woo. All right. I'll get you out of here. I want to, first, I want to thank you. I know you're going to be, do, you, you, uh, you, you're, you're coming. My father is getting inducted into the high school yes. association hall of fame in, in, yep. in, in coming up. And I, and I know you're going to be, you're going to be there. And I appreciate it. I know he's, you and he are pretty good friends. And I appreciate yep. you coming to that. Be nice to the referees in your in your in your last few years. Be nice to us referees, please. <laughs> you, you know, you know, I never give you guys a hard time. I know. I try, you I try to entertain y'all. Jason, you know, you got to find some humor in everything you do because there's no survivors in this game. We're just <laughs> passing through. We got to have some fun. So I'm gonna have hell Friday night. Hell, that's the sex part of the marriage, man. What are that's you talking it, about? You got if you if you don't enjoy football games, why are you coaching, right? That's right. I mean, tell, uh, tell Earl is the head coach when he really needs one, and when he needs a timeout and he doesn't have one, don't scream to his player right in front of the official. Hey, fall down and act like you have a cramp. <laughs> <laughs> no, we coached him up. Now, now he whisper. <laughs> you got a much better on that. You got a signal. You, you go down. That means go down. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Stay there till I get out there. <laughs> you got it. Oh, well, we'll see you Monday night, man. I'm yep, looking forward I, to seeing your mom and your dad. Yeah, I appreciate it. Like I said, I appreciate your, uh, you've been very good to me since I've been back in Tampa. So I appreciate that. And much pleasure in talking to you, coach. I know it's, uh, you've had an unbelievable career. Keep it up. I, I usually get out to see you at least once a year, either refereeing a game or working with your kids. And I enjoy doing it. Anytime you need me, you, you call me, but uh, appreciate the time and keep And You, you guys think you got a good team this year? Uh, we got a good team this year, Jay. It should be fun to watch, man. We're going to move the ball. I don't know if it's going to be forward or backwards, but we'll be moving it every snap. And I got some guys that uh, can run on defense. I got Coach Sip's son, who's an all-state linebacker, coming back. I got Jordan Bailey, who's committed to Pitt. I got uh, Joseph Jr. who's committed to Colorado State. I have about seven kids that have been committed to college already. So if we don't mess them up and coach them lousy we'll be okay man and the other good thing is you got a brand new turf field too that's one thing that do. The, the county's making a commitment into getting some turf fields around the different schools yes. in the county you were one of the first schools to get a turf field how is that yeah. it really just improved your ability to train especially when it's the, the weather we have in florida when it rains a lot you know for all the oh. sports at hillsborough not just football soccer track and field all yes. the, all the benefits that you guys get out of that turf field Oh my God, what a game changer. Are you kidding? I mean, we used to practice in the outfield of the baseball field, yep. which is the lowest part in Seminole Heights. You know, the average height of Seminole Heights is 17 feet above sea level. 
the height of the outfield at Hillsboro's is like one below. So when it rained, we were ankle deep in water. The ball would float around. That's how we practice. Hash marks, sidelines, yeah. ticks. Nah, that ain't happening. We just put cones up and the cones would float. Now we got a turf field that drains perfectly within 20 minutes, regardless of the summer deluge every afternoon. Right. Hey, Jason, we got a new thing called hash marks and numbers and sidelines. And now we have landmarks that we can teach the Ariane Knightons <clears throat> to run a 12 yard curl. Oh, here's 12 yards, two of these and two of these long lines and two of those <laughs> short ones. So hey, it's a competitive effort for us. Yeah. Competitive edge. There you go. Very good. Very good. Yeah. All right, coach. Have a great weekend. Good luck this Thank year. You, we'll see you soon. Okay, man. We'll see you Monday. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thanks coach. Take care. All right. Thanks again for listening to the powers on sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.